Earth, September 1939. With Europe sliding into war, a young Englishwoman, her loyalties torn, comes to a terrible decision. But what does the intergalactic secrets broker, Mephistopheles Arcadian, want with the fascist sympathizer Cecilia Sissy Pollard on the last day of her life? Still searching for the facts about the Gribin debacle, President Romana makes a deal with the devil. So begins a chain of consequence that can only end in tragedy for the passengers aboard the Vienna to Calais Transcontinental Express, the woman called Leela included. By journey's end, the truth will out, but at what cost to Romana and Leela? To Gallifrey's empire, even. Dun dun dun! <laughs> is the pod of Rassilon. Hi, I'm Finn, my pronouns are they, them. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at FinTip, and you can follow the show at Pod of Rassilon on Tumblr, Twitter, Insta, and wherever else you find podcasts for your ear thingies. Joining me today, we have Chris, who uses he, him. Hi, I'm Chris. You can follow me on Twitter at MedlockMadness and on Tumblr at MedlockMadness. Jane, who uses she, her. Hi there. You can find me at Twitter, Tumblr, and AO3 at Jane Tareen. Scar, they, them. Hello. You can follow the film I'm making on Twitter at dead underscore Susan. And the void who uses they, them. Hi. You can find me on Twitter at voidlythoughts. That is void, L-Y, thoughts. And on Tumblr at irving-braxiatel. And today we are talking about the episode 1.4, A Blind Eye, in which lots happens and many secrets are revealed. You ain't kidding. Which is a shame because it's a really interesting dynamic. Um, it is. And some really great character development. And I mean, I will always ship OT3. Like, if I'm going to ship anyone on Gallifrey, it's OT3. It's got to be. Um, occasionally with Brax involved, if he can stop being a dickhead for five minutes. Um, <laughs> but, like, you know, not necessarily as a romantic thing. Just, like, these are people who mean a lot to each other and have been through a lot. And I think we've talked about this. But I think we talked about this in the intro episode as well about the complicatedness, I suppose, of. Like, they've been through so much together like these core characters there's something really like that binds them in a way that mm. you know even even early on like you know there's stuff happening like they're all quite disparate parts disparate units but they've already been through quite a bit together um and like you know next season and the season after it really really picks up and whether you ship it as like um I'm kind of stealing jane's words here um but like whether you ship it as like a romantic thing or whatever and it's the reason that I love Babylon 5, it's the reason that I love, like, 7, like, it is about the, conne- and Pacific Rim as well, it is about the connections between Farscape. people. Yeah, I've not seen enough of it, but, like, yeah. Um, it's about the yeah. connections between people, it's about the things that bind people together, and the way that their stories inter- like interlace with each other. Um, and, like, yeah, the clever pot- plotting's really cool, the clever, you know, like, really tricksy, complicated stuff that's really rewarding as a listener. But the thing that sells me on shows will always be the characters. Um, And I mean, we've barely talked about plot in this episode. I really like the way that they set it up at the beginning. They're kind of like, here's like about half of the cards for this episode. Good luck guessing what's going on. Arcadian lays most of it out on the table right at the beginning. And it it keeps you going. It pulls you along. It, It offers you little bits and goes, oh, but you think you've got it? Here's another piece to the, here's another piece to the puzzle. And it's gonna trip you up completely going to make you sort of think about it totally differently anyway i should get off that high horse just a very minor thing about what you said about the plot i i like how they have the like disclaimer via arcadian of like no this isn't any of the time war uh, time travel world war two story cliches you're expecting thing and i mean even you know the fact that they you know they had that as the background but but that wasn't really relevant. Like, I mean, yeah, sure, but it was Sissy who was the focus of of the plot of of everything that was happening. It wasn't, you know, everything that was happening that was powering it. It was her, and it was her story. It wasn't uh, the whole timeline is in danger and everything's going to collapse in on itself and blah 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 blah. It's a very like isolated story, 
where the last few episodes have been, you know, about, I think you talked about this last episode, Jane, like, you know, explosions and the end of the world and, or the end of a world at least. Although, once again, for the third time this season, Romana's solution to the problem is a game of chicken. (laughs) More literally than ever before this time. Yeah. Romana, you gotta get another strategy, hon. Yeah. I mean, I've kind of noted, like, I'm pretty sure this would, like, somehow qualify as a form of torture. Yeah. Because, like, she is basically saying, like, tell me everything or I will kill former you so you die. Like that. And also all the other people on this train. And you're like, um, yeah. Romana. Like, mm. Including Leela. Including Leela. <laughs> but, I mean, I think when Romana was saying it, she specifically thought, like, oh, Torvald only cares about himself. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I have to threaten, Torvald, you know, I have to yeah. threaten to kill him. Even if that was what she initially thought, what he says is, but all those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, he clearly does care. Team Narvin was right, mostly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so on four episodes, how many times has Romana's solution basically been to get herself killed? The, the, there is, a, there is a, a point here as well at which the whole Narvin is actually quite good at his job thing comes in where he actually says to her, God's sake, we are the celestial intervention agency. Leave it to the experts. And she actually, for once, backs off and goes, okay. And he's so adorably shocked by it. His reaction is, really? I know. (laughs) Like, it's just... (laughs) He's just gone from being his most oily and officious and deplorable to, like, sweet, squeaky, bless him, the boy. <laughs> there is the flip side to all of this, which is Narvin turning up with his, um, with his time anomaly gadget and Romana trying to take it off him. It's all, be careful, you'll break my man toy. <laughs> it, it's more like it's a machine that goes ding. It goes ding when there's stuff. That's what Narvin's got. He's got a, it goes ding when there's stuff machine. And I love yeah, it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. the fact that the president of one of the most powerful planets in the universe and the coordinator of the CIA are literally fighting for control of a gizmo like children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I wish Gallifrey was a TV show. I know. Can you imagine okay, the gifts? That's what I was going to say. I've just remembered when you were into the shippy stuff is... Ramana and Narvin totally knew each other before this. Like, they know each other way, way, way too well for them to just know each other in these four episodes. Like, their dynamic in this whole thing is so, so... Like, I understand how you work, I understand where your buttons are and how to push them. They get each other, and... The shipper in me wants to make a lot of that, but, you know, like, at very least, they have a history. I, I refuse to believe otherwise. How many words? Hmm? How many words was your fic, Jane? <laughs> the fic, the fic that you're talking about does not actually involve them knowing each other beforehand. Um, no, I know, I was just um, making a joke about the shipper in you. There's a mere, there's a mere 120,000 words of it. Void. <laughs> A point I wanted to make, or something I thought about, is we don't actually know how long it's been between the Inquiry and A Blind Eye. I'm definitely getting the feeling that it's been a while. Uh, We know that from Weapon of Choice to... I mean, I say a while, I'm not talking like years, you know, but... um, Months. Months, potentially. I was thinking like weeks, maybe, like, you know, six weeks, something like that. But Mm. but we know that um, from weapon of choice to the inquiry it's two weeks because Dargle tells Narvin and Brex two weeks gentlemen you have two weeks so we know how long it has passed there but there's a quite a bit between this one and lies as well because it even says in the episode intro it's like some time has passed yeah we have that whole interaction um when Romana comes back and finds Leela talking to Sissy and Miss Joy and you very much like there is a dynamic between them you know they're like how many times Leela to me that says you know there is an established dynamic there um so I think it has been a little while there's there's a lot of unspoken communication there as well like a lot of stuff that's kind of like Romana will say something and Leela knows exactly what she means 
or Leela doesn't have to say something. But there is also the bit where like Leela just like picks someone up and pins them to the wall or whatever she's doing. Because the implication is very much that Leela is holding her up in the air because Ramona's like set her down instead of like let her go or let her sit down or something. It's just like don't you think you're being a little rough, is what Miss Joy says. Um, and Romana's just like, set her down, Leela. Um, like, is Leela just, like, bench-pressing her or something? like <laughs> Just deadlifting her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah <laughs> pretty much. On a similar track, pardon the pun, given the episode. Choo-choo. The immediate aftermath of the Toranjid revelation. Tordred. Toranjid. When Romana starts, when she actually goes, Leela... It's a reaction of pride, but it's also a reaction of don't remind because I know what you're going to do. I need no comfort. So it's both saying I'm going to retain my pride in this moment, even though I've just been torn to bits. But also it's that stay away from me because I know what you like and I know what you're going to try and do. That definitely adds to that idea that they all kind of know each other at this point. Yeah, they've definitely, like, developed their dynamic. And like we said about how this episode is the most Doctor Who-ish of them, I, it, it makes sense that this comes as the the last episode, because, you know, we've had three episodes to establish what Gallifrey is, and that, you know, it, the heart of it is, you know, Gallifrey and political drama and all that. And then, you know, you get a break from that, and you get to, to have some shenanigans in, on a also, um, I don't know if I even have a point of this, just I, I, I love the moment of comedy, the whole Romana and Narvin's whole conversation when uh, they're first meeting, and uh, Madam, the Alps are in the other direction. Are they? Damn. Yeah. Um, Let Romana swear. <laughs> I Yes. I had a lot of feelings about Leela and violence in this episode that are much bigger than this episode, so... The Face of Evil is one of the serials I've rewatched the most, mm. partly because I love it despite the terrible, terrible soundstage, and partly for Leela Cannon. And there's a big emphasis there on the Doctor being like, violence cannot be your first response to things. This is how you have been trained, but I am going to s- teach you better, which is problematic in its own way. But I think she takes that to heart, but then... As she's traveling with him, there's a lot of Leela, you know, where's that Nitro 9 you're not carrying, right? He wants her to be violent when it's useful and then feel bad about it, right? And Gallifrey just keeps doing that to her forever, Mm -hmm. right? It's the, oh, you savage, how can you be so vicious? Except when it's it's useful for us and then where's your knife, Leela? Yeah. Like, she gets really, really emotionally fucked around when it comes to other people's responses to her physical capacities to defend people, which is not something I think she has to be ashamed of. Like, I'm- and in this episode, I think it comes out a lot in her, um, you know, she's very calmly plotting cold-blooded murder, Mm -hmm. and it hurts me. She's also very clever. Right? Like, she figures out. Mm-hmm. she There are no Time Lords on that train with her. And she figures out the whole time thing. She knows exactly what it is. And she goes one step further and gets to the implication of, if I kill this Torval now, yeah. I can stop him from killing Andred in the future. Which is some pretty complicated timey-wimeness. But she wrestles with the morality of that as well. She yeah. does. Just from what you said about the, the yeah the timelines being hypocritical about and also using her physical capacity, she is literally employed to be Romana's bodyguard. Like it's you know it's it's her job to defend people and the way as you said the way they re- respond to that with um, derision. Yes. Yeah. Which you know they would never throw it if she had a Chancellor Guard personal bodyguard. Unless, you know, it was Winter and they were making fun of him for being Winter. And the constant comments about her body, right? Um, Torvald has one this episode. Mm-hmm. Ha- she has a certain, or you have a certain bearing in the flesh. Yeah, actually right? Torvald as well, not even Torvandred. Which, like, wouldn't, al- yeah, like yeah. wouldn't also be acceptable, but, like, it's somehow even worse. 
because it's like this gross, yeah, right. horrendous person who's been gross and horrendous about everything is also doing it to Leela. And, and you're like, I am going to fight you and throw you off the train. Yeah. This being, like, right after he has called her Endred's creature mm-hmm. and called her it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's just dehumanized her and then on top of that, he's doing that to her. Leela deserved better. On a lighter note, if nobody has anything else, do we want to get into some fun theories? We should. Is it time? Yeah, it is time. <laughs> the time has come. I think it's past time. <laughs> yeah, it, it's past time yeah. because it's currently quarter past eleven for Void, so yeah. we should probably get it's on with fine. it. It's L- fine. Listen, I can and will always talk about bricks. <laughs> so if anybody, for some reason, this is your first episode, um, we put forward the theory in episode one. Uh, Which you should or, go and listen to. Two of the podcast. Um, I don't know how we're gonna split it up exactly. Uh, episode in one, so episode it's episode zero. About there you go. Yeah. Um. Yeah, in our episode about Galley one point one. Anyway, we put forward the theory that Arcadian is a future regeneration or disguise or potentially a fob watched version of one Irving Ignatius Braxfield. <laughs> Um. Yeah. <laughs> or having disco Brexiatel. Is that your middle name? No, no. I'm just making no. it up. Irving surprise Brexiatel. <laughs> oh, don't, don't. We'll go back to the overfield if we do that. I mean, that was um. Remind me, what was his um? But in Empire of Glass, he signs. He has this like signal, sig- signet thing, which has initials on them that are not his. JLB, something like that. Amazing. But anyway, it's three letters, and they are not to do with Irving or Brexit. <laughs> um, I mean, the B um, could be, but uh, I, I was just saying three letters there. Um, yeah. Okay, fair enough. I have not read this book in about five years, so I just remember th- reading it and thinking, Whomst? <laughs> I threw this theory out sort of as a throwaway gag in the first step. Because I'd noticed some similarities, and now none of us can get it out of our heads, and we've all been listening to this episode collecting evidence. There's so much evidence in this episode that's not wrong. It's, it's not one of those, like, if it, if it isn't what they intended, it should have been, because it's so good. Can I give my favourite ones real quick? Okay. Two lines of dialogue that come very near to each other. Arcadian has the line, things to do, if you'll excuse me. Brax has an almost identical line in the previous episode, which it's not that distinctive of a line, but still, the much more distinctive one, in the previous episode, Narvin used the phrase, the arrogance of the man, Mm. right? Very loudly and angrily about Brax. In this episode, Romana has the line, the arrogance of the man, about Arcadian. (laughs) Yeah, that is all. There's also just a lot of his lines, like, I can hear them in Miles Richardson's voice, right? Especially, like, so, you know, yeah. he, he walks around calling people my dear and everything. And you're like, part of that is in playing up the, you know, he's Mephistopheles Arcadian, which is very much a persona. But also, I can hear Miles. The biggest one for me is, we're both swines, madam. Utter rotten swines. <laughs> I'm sorry, if you can't hear that in Miles Richardson's voice... What are you doing in this fandom? <laughs> <laughs> it is such a, a hymn line. Also, just um, the cascade of the heavens is like pretentious in a Brax way. Mm. I mean, I've got so many, but there's one here where we get some thunder and he says, I do love a bit of stern unstrang. Yeah. Mm. Now, I actually had to go and look that up. I only know that because of redacted wizard world things it's such a artsy reference and so obscure that it has to be a praxism so from wikipedia literally storm and drive usually translated as storm and stress was a proto-romantic movement in german literature and music that occurred between the late 1760s and early 1780s I'm Mozart, sorry, madam. I'm sorry, that is a reference of a curator of fine arts and antiquities. It is. No, another line that is also 
similar to that is um actually forgot the context um but he has a line at some point where he says there are certain recordings in my collection and <laughs> there's just like a tiny bit of emphasis on collection <laughs> and i think like maybe it's only there because i was looking for it but still whom who do we know who has a collection also, he does the humming. The last thing yeah, I hear yeah. from him yes, in yes, the yes. whole episode is him doing the humming. Yeah, I know. I've got a point about it too. <laughs> and then there's the whole the, there's the whole thing about him basically having having sold Sissy to yeah um yeah to Miss um, Joy. Th- this is this is one that of my on only my con list. Yeah, th- this is one of the only things that I'm as a piece of memorabilia. That's that's so, on my pro list. It's so, on my. It is very, yeah. very definitely on my con list. Yeah, yeah same here. So, really? Treat people as things no, is a brack. No, but but no, it not in that way. Not in that way. Well, I'm in the pro. Can I? I think like too. he is. He is very much like he. Um, he uses people. Mm. Yes, I'm not denying that. And sometimes he makes choices for people that it's not his place to make. But I don't believe that he actually regards people as objects. Mm. Not in that. I don't believe he would sell. If Arcadian is into the future, post time war. I I still don't think so. Into the future, post time war, and clearly is showing a degree of moral degradation over time. Like there's not that much further to go from where we've seen Brax already. But but the thing is, like, uh, the, without spoiling too much about the whole thing with the Benny audios, we see Brex fall incredibly far, but at the end of it, he hits rock bottom, and he realises what he's done, and starts to climb up again. And I don't believe he would have that realisation, and then start to fall again in that particular way. Well, we yeah, don't it's... know where this, we don't know where this is. Yeah, right. if he I is, know. if if Arcadian is a Brax, we don't know where in Brax's ridiculous non-timeline <laughs> <laughs> he fits in. Time not. I mean, for me, the the only way I can see a Brax doing that is if it's not sort of like right. There's a whole thing about clone Braxes and a million other Braxes and whatever, and different Braxes that do different things and in different Maggie. places. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, the only way I could see any Brax doing that would be not sort of like main Brax. And I know that's like a really difficult concept to, because like, you know, if anyone deserves the deserves the title Timey Wimey, it's him. Um, but it's, for me, that is the one step too far for Brax thing. Um, you know, I could see him doing something like that as a spur of the moment, not really thinking it through kind of thing. But this is a long term plan. And, like, all he gets out of it is money. Um, and I don't see that as a huge motivator for Brax. But a very, very, very twisted, screwed up, um, lashing out Brax, I can kind of see that from. Can I just say, he, he did buy a plant person and fall in love with it. We don't talk um, about that one. <laughs> don't mention that, because I will go We on. will go into a big rant about that, because there's a lot of character problems and things and consent okay. problems. Right, we're not starting well, that. Scar, okay. you were going to say something. And um, Jane's had her hand up for a while, yeah. too. That's okay. Go for it, Scar. It's Arcadian stiffing Romana with the bill is on one hand very funny, but Brax is more likely to go in the other direction. You know, like, spoiling Romana to a unnecessary point. Yeah. I'd put that in the cons list. If this is a future Brax, he already knows how this happens, right? And he knows the end game. He knows that nobody actually does sell CC, right? He knows how it all plays out mm. in the long term. Like, it's a pose he could put on, but he knows that doesn't actually happen, right? Yeah, I can see that. Fair enough. And Fair that enough. all of this is part of the backstory of a really big thing happening on Gallifrey. Yeah. So that's a fair point. I mean yeah. I do have other list things on my con list, but you did just take away that one as a major argument. Yeah. It's hard to tell if it could be Arcadian totally knows what's going on, but he doesn't seem to know that Andrew replaced Torvald because, you know, he starts the whole drama of don't go with with him, Madam President. He's the person trying to kill I mean that could have been an act. Hmm. Yeah. 
it, it, it's hard to tell whether he's just, you know, him trying to choose the most dramatic moment possible to start the reveal, but usually I just read that as he doesn't know. Yeah, I mean, I think that's how it's intended, but with our, yeah. with this reading of it, you can also read it in in that other direction, yeah. that he's he's just pretending. Picking the most dramatic moment, remind me who is the professor, uh, whatever, head of theatre and drama at, um, at Zella. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> the one. Yeah. Also has an unhealthy appreciation of Shakespeare. Also, I think the I think the the Captain Cretton and Lieutenant Loincloth parallel, right? The second of which the first of which Romana says, mm. and the second of which is Arcadian, argues in favor of him knowing that they're married. See, I can see that point. I hadn't considered that, but at the same time, I do kind of have it on my con list also because Brex has so much respect for Leela, and Arcadian very definitely does not have respect for Leela. He calls her my dear. He has more respect for her when they're when they're alone together, I think, than he does in public. I mean, like, my only issue with them being alone together was when he slept her awake, but other than that, like, that whole scene, I was like, yes, I, I, I want this <laughs> to be Brex, because I want Brex and Leela to have had that scene together. <laughs> I would just like Brax and Leela to have more scenes together. Honestly, yes, that's kind of why. Um. Brax and Leela spin-off show when. Brax and Leela spin-off show when I get my CIA Ace and Narvin spin-off. That's the next one on the list. Please. I mean, like, he, he has that line, right, where he's like, you've, um, you've fractured nothing. And the fact that he went to, like, everything else is happening, but he did go to find her further down the track, mm. which... Which Romana didn't Something was up there. Like... Without honestly, without this reading, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, why would Arcadian go for Leela? Right. Again, and like calling her my dear when they're alone and there's nobody to hear. Right. I, I don't know that I think it's just a pose. I think yeah. The more the more we we talk about this theory, the more I want it to be. I know. Simple. Same. I, know. Yeah. I, know. I mean, like I've I've just I've constructed this like I would argue an essay. Mm. I've written the pros and the cons and the other factors, and then <laughs> I don't have a conclusion yet. Maybe we'll have to wait till the end of season three for that. Yeah, I think That's very high on my list of pros is the fact that you know when Tordred, Narvin, and Romana are having this whole conversation about the temporal mechanics of the situation, Arcadian butts in a few times and adds things. Mm. It, and like the fact that he can keep up with Time Lords when it comes to temporal mechanics. Sure, there are other temporal powers. We know that humans are among them. Uh, not in season one, though. In season two. But still, like they are talking stuff that it's hard for them to sort of understand. Mm. And he kind of seems like, yeah, he's just, he's got it immediately. Yeah, if anything, he's, like, nudging them in the right direction at that point. Exactly. And, like, it is because um, he holds more of the pieces partly, but, like, you know, Brax does that all the time. You know, he likes to watch people mean, figure things out. There's that one line, um, let me just find it. So Miss Joy says, Ah, Miss Arcadian, an expensive provider, but his is the only name in the town when there's temporal naughtiness to be done. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that he knew to approach Narvin as well. A traitor in secrets, a fixer and a fiddler, no. a dishonest broker with no scruples and no shame. No shame. Yeah, no, I had that Come on, as well. Come yeah. on, y'all. And 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 the and the fact that at the start that he's actually listed them on the guest list in the in the buffet car as Mister and Mrs. Arcadian. Yeah, is a huge thing. I will say about that something we didn't mention last time we talked about this is. It is not textual that Brex is in love with Romana. Yeah. It's not textual. It's, um, it's never said. Um, it no, but, but, like, it is a reading of it, and it is the reading that I have also, but it's not something that's. I mean, I know that's the whole, like, the scene where he proposes to her. Um, <laughs> can you imagine I... if you hadn't watched Gallifrey, uh, listened to Gallifrey, <laughs> and hearing that, that line? Like, you know, he proposed <laughs> to her once, but I don't know. It's not textual. But... <laughs> okay. It, it it's never like it just just one thing is that miles who who he told me he he needs he when there was like the benny stuff and there was multiple miles like he needed to be told every time he was uh uh 
doing it with which Brexit was. Um, but even he's he has that thing in the behind the scenes thing of like I, I think he holds a candle for Amana. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like like Miles says that he believes Brexit is in love with Amana. Yeah. I also like. I believe that Brex is in love with Romana. I do. I'm just saying that it is possible to read the text in a different way. Um, and we stated it as if it was 100% canon. And I'm just like, I just want to like put the disclaimer out there. Yeah. That, like, I mean, it is very difficult to read it in any other way, but it is right. doable. I think it's possible to read any other scene but that one. Uh, th- there is definitely like... Like, trying to think about it that way, there is definitely just a very, like, deep bond between them. Mm. Um, there is a lot of trust um, at this point, but but there is also a lot of history. Um, that, like, they have this sort of um, established dynamic. Um, they they know where they stand with each other. Or they think they do. Or they think they do. Um, but yeah, um, there is a relationship of some sort there with a lot of love in it. And you can read that love in many different ways. Yeah. But anyway, um, back to the point. Um, Arcadian flirts with Rana all the time, and that is such a Brex thing. There's another thread with this that, and and this is one of Finn's theories actually, which is oh god, just in general, what have I said? That Brax has a lot of money, and he acquires things because they're shiny baubles. But oh, the Brax the man... has no taste argument, yeah. But the man yes. himself has no taste. So That one's not just a me thing. I think so you the, are the person the who started it, though. Possibly. Uh, yeah, I think you are. There's the man wearing a black market suit, and there is the whole red wine with fish thing, <laughs> which is both in my pro and in my con column. Nokia Same. ringtone. Because the, the whole red wine with fish smacks of the whole, you know, lots of money, no, no class. <laughs> but can I actually believe that Brax would serve red wine with fish? Not sure. Unless it's Brax wrong. trying to throw people off his scent. And this is why this theory is so good, is that like every so single fun. con <laughs> is just like, yeah, but it could also be Brax just being like, no, it's not me. I, yeah. I had one of those written down as well. Like you know how he keeps on calling Romana Madam P, which is just yeah. so horrendous. I love it in a way <laughs> that he, you know, he's the one who is always my lady. My president flatters yeah. me. All yeah. that part. <laughs> that same sort of like you know the that established relationship that we see between Brex and Romana. I kind of feel like you can also see Arcadian leaning into it. Like, you know, he's making all these jokes and he's being like, oh, come on, like, have a glass of wine with me. And And from the moment he meets her, right, he's just been brought into the presidential office of Gallifrey, right? If he's never interacted with her in any way before, there's no explanation for how familiar he is. Mm. Like, immediately he's flirting with her and you know, outrageously complimenting her. It's just, yeah, it's just there, always. I mean, she seems to know who he is at that point, but yeah, we don't know if they have actually ever met, and if they have never met at that point, that is odd. The reason that Romana knows who he is is because K9 and Leela reported back that they met mm. Arcadian at yeah. the bar. Yeah. So she knows that he is coming. Yeah, Narvin's the one who already knows him, which we find out why in this episode. Just so, a, another of those, um, uh, what we were just saying about Arcadian's teasing lines, another one I had down was, you won't mind me taking this little liberty, and I expect you to take nothing else, also good. Very briefly speaking of the sun, I would just like to segue <laughs> for a second into, we haven't talked about one very big thing that happened this episode. Yeah, Narvin gets shot. At this point, Romana has been hurt more times than Narvin. That doesn't last. Spoilers. I know, but like, I, I like when it happened, I was like, but actually though, like, because she was shot in the first one in Weapon of Choice, and Square One when she's like running from the Servitor. Mm. I think the difference for me is Romana keeps putting herself in these situations of being like, well, go on then, shoot me, and it's done too. And Narvin is just trying to get on with it and do his job. Yeah. And like all these terrible things keep happening to to it. Yeah. (laughs) 
the, the one thing I had written down for this is Marvin getting stunned is satisfying. Oh, it is. It is. He was very smug. He was incredibly smug, and he's an ass a lot of the time, and he deserves <laughs> to be stunned in this one, but yeah. And extra amusing that he, he got that smug when, like, a few seconds earlier, he was genuinely surprised and going, mm -hmm. really? Mm -hmm. And then he, ju he just, you know, pushes his luck too far and... Listeners, I am so sad that we are not doing some sort of video <laughs> thing here, because you did not see the face that Jane made when Scar said that Marvin deserved it. <laughs> I'm no, sorry, I did not... Satisfying! Yeah. It's never satisfying to see our boy get... get pummeled in this I way. I mean, it is this time, just because he's been he's a really... He's a little shit! Yeah. Like, that's what's in my notes. My notes specifically say, and the first time our Narvin gets shot, poor smug little shit. That's him gently. <laughs> yes, that is what my notes say. He's terrible, but we, like, can't we stop the violence? We need a, we need an anti-violence to Narvin's campaign. <laughs> I will carry a sign. I mean... <laughs> For the record, I did try to start one of those shortly before mm. Enemy Lines came out, and as you can see, it yeah. didn't go very well. No. It involved a skeleton, Finn. That's the thing you're not you're not mentioning. Oh, I'm trying not to like talk spoilers for Enemy Lines, um, but like, because it is quite a way down, and people might be like listening along or whatever. But I mean, like, yeah, the day before I was like posed at that because it was when I'd just done my first Narvin cosplay. Um, and I'd like made like this stupid party hat that had Nervin Protection Squad written on it, um, and then uh, yeah, not once, twice, twice in one episode, twice, or one serial, whatever you want to call it, twice. Box set. Oh yeah, yeah, one box set. Spoilers, spoiler alert. I'm gonna say a big spoiler. Pause for ten seconds. They killed him twice in one episode. But he's still standing, and he's still Sean Carlson. Oh yeah, like it's all okay. He got better, but. I'm still mad about it. <laughs> they killed Ramona and Leela in that same episode too, right? Isn't it that one where they killed yeah. Ramona and Leela? Yeah. 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 I mean, everyone dies, but Nervin dies twice. <laughs> yeah. True. But yeah. And you uh... have to listen to him being really scared as well. Anyway, that's not this episode. But yeah, so I stand by being satisfied. So he, yeah. Um, I have a few more points about Arcadian. Mephistophel Irving. <laughs> okay, that's my new favourite one. I've been calling him uh, it, it rolls off the tongue well. Mephistophel Irving. Oh, sure. <laughs> even, even as a, a woman with a 28-letter name, I cannot agree to that. <laughs> what? Mephistophel Irving Arcadiatel. Tell. <laughs> <laughs> You sounded as and, proud and just in that moment. A minute ago, you couldn't say familiar. Yeah, yeah. You <laughs> sounded now. in that moment as proud as Sean did in the behind-the-scenes thing, where he just reels off Romana's name because somebody else is talking about how hard it is to say Gallifreyan names, and he's just like, "Oh, you mean like Romana Devorchalunda?" And he's like, "Just, mm. that's what you sounded like." <laughs> <laughs> I'm still um, slightly offended that in the in the cosplay contest, the reaction was, "You know her? Of course, I know her goddamn name. It's my Wi-Fi password." <laughs> Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> um, him. <laughs> Which him? Let's see. What was I gonna say? Um, the boy I mean, or the bastard man? Aren't they the, both the, the same person man. sometimes? Um, okay. Right. So, like, another time, like, because he's very definitely flirting a lot with Romana at the beginning but at the end though you know like Romana is saying a thing about how the person who would stand to gain the most from a war with the transtemporal powers would be an arms dealer and he says like in this I can't like I cannot do it justice but he says you know an interesting theory madam prove it mm. that is a flirt if I ever heard mm -hmm. one <laughs> like the way he says it it's it's very definitely sort of a come and catch me thing. Um, it really yeah. is. Somebody somebody please do a photo edit of the catch me if you can poster. <laughs> that is all. <laughs> well, the problem is that there is actually no canon for what Arcadian looks like, other than wearing a black market suit. Make it Brax in a fake fake nose. 
<laughs> or like you know those like the glasses with the fake nose yes, and the exactly. fake mustache that's what i mean yes a grabber <laughs> mark's glasses yes but but please make it a picture of miles where he already has a mustache <laughs> so he's got like two mustaches now and and the balloon hat <laughs> that's not on youtube anymore the, the 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 whole the proctologist series it's not yeah. on youtube anymore it's gone it doesn't exist and it's terrible. You want to know another travesty that has occurred? You know the Tumblr account, um, that picture of milesrichardson.tumblr.com? Mm. It was flagged for inappropriate content. What? <laughs> I, I noticed it um, a while back. Um, for those who were not here, I mean, I don't know if this will make it in, but just going to explain the context. There is this one picture of Miles. Um, he is quite young in it. Um, he was in some play where... He is like running across, he's doing some sort of stage play. He's running across the stage in boxer shorts with, there's some sort of like Fake plant leaf print on them, <laughs> I believe. And he's got this weird expression and he's holding two things and I cannot remember what they are. But they are two wild things for him. I want to say one of them is like a fake tree or something. Oh yeah, I think he's holding a plant. That's why I was like, there yeah. must be a plant. It's not on the shorts. He's wearing the plant. And I'm holding the plant. <laughs> Very cerulean of him. Um, but anyway, there was a whole Tumblr account dedicated just to reposting this same photo. <laughs> but apparently Tumblr now believes that photo to be inappropriate. I will link this photo in the description because it has to be seen to be believed. You will thank me yes. later. Or possibly as, not. As does the, as does the balloon animal picture. Mm. Yes, I did. I did have back, back, back on track to the thing we're here to talk about. I did have two more sort of um, things on my con list uh, of the theory. I don't believe because Arcadian has worked with Torvald. I don't believe that Brax would work with Nazis. Mm. There was that whole fifth axis. I thing. think Brax would use Nazis. I mean, I'm, I'm just after. You know the fifth yes, axis after thing. yes, I do know that. Fair enough. I I just think with that in mind, like I don't think he'd want to get anywhere near it. No. Um. And the other thing is, um, like these are sort of things where I'm like, if we're applying this theory, I'm just gonna ignore it. The working with Nazis thing, and the fact that Arcadian has a few sexist lines in this one. I mean, he is the one who calls Sissy a bitch, and he has that line where he's speaking to Miss Joy, where he says, um, I wrote it down. Oh, the knitting one. Yeah, very good, dear. Now get back to your knitting. Mm. When, when I was in a very condescending way, yeah. which is very sort of like, oh, you're an old lady. Yeah. Go back to knitting. Your opinion doesn't matter. Which, I mean, these are just on the list, but honestly, I like the theory a lot. And I'm just going to say, well, if he is Brex, I'm just going to yeah ignore that we, we part. Just, I mean, yeah. with the same way that when... You know when people write Brex sexist and you're like, what? Where? When? Yeah. Like, where are you getting this from? Like, there's like so one or twice when he's been written by very sexist people in the books yeah. that that comes up, but it's not, he's very much not like that. Or like, you know, like when, when people are just like, have a poor grasp of the character. Mm. Like, you know, um, how can I say this without spoiling who Maggie is? Um, in The Empire State, when he talks about the first time he meets Maggie. Yeah. And he's disappointed that she's a woman. Mm -hmm. I just, where were they getting that from? I had forgotten that. Yeah, no, like he, he, he has a line where, like he, Maggie says that the first thing Brex said when he sees her is, "Oh, it's a female." Yeah. Well, that's gross. Mm -hmm. It is, and grossly out of character. Yeah. Gross in seventeen different ways. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm going to file, like, I'm going to file, when it comes to this headcanon, I'm going to file the bitch line and the get back to your knitting and the working with Nazis in that same compartment in my head under things I'm just going to pretend didn't happen. Yeah. A good approach to take. I don't know if, the, if anyone's got any more Braxcadian things they want to say. Don't think I think so I'm though. good on that one. Yep, I'm good too. I only have two general things left what about other people i have one braxcadial thing the only person he touches is human not a time lord which i right like he offers to shake hands with romana but like he knows she'll say no mm. right 
The only person he actually physically touches is Leela. Yeah. It's almost like Time Lords have touched telepaths. Almost. In fact, which is never used to the full extent it should. Yeah, I lied earlier when I said I had nothing actual to say about the the Alps conversation. I did actually have a thing to say. The line before that was like, I am free to go when wherever and whenever I choose without submitting a bunch of paperwork first. I mean, does it, it, is the president literally above all laws or just the temporal ones? I get the feeling Romana wants it to be above all laws because she's being yeah, a little she, bit she dictatory. She is not above the first law of time, she isn't. Mm. I, I mean... That, that, she, that's she, sort of heavily implied later on. Mm. Narvin doesn't challenge her on her being able to be wherever and whenever she chooses. Um, so presumably it is part of the presidency that the president isn't subject to Gallifrey's law that, you know, like, makes renegades illegal and, and means that everyone's meant to be on the planet unless they have official clearance to be elsewhere. And presumably most, presumably it's like a, a, a thing that presidents get as tradition and no one actually really uses it because why would a president want to leave Gallifrey? It's, it's you know, it's the most superior place ever. But To go on holiday with their girlfriend. <laughs> But yeah, uh, Romana is obviously actually taking advantage of this. And yeah, it's it's an early bad sign, I guess, in in hindsight, knowing the whole Imperatrix thing and, and, and how uh, power mad she gets. But it, 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 she is starting to think of herself as above the law. Mm. Team Narvin was mostly right. And uh, my only other thing was... I mean, it's just interesting to me that it manages to tackle all these very serious themes of, of fascism and xenophobia, and you know, with the backdrop of World War Two and like the 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 plot that Torvald created. Uh, I I wrote down that um, Andred called uh, called it an isolationist agenda written by neoconservatives, a hydra-headed plot. So, like, very literally outright terrorism on Gallifrey. Mm. But the episode itself, uh, uh, until it gets really into all of that plot-heavy stuff in the, the like, the, the final act, it's almost like a, a, a comedic farce. You know, you've got all these these characters appearing and, and no one's who they say they are, and it, 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 it manages to also just be, like, also feel like an entertaining... Doctor Who-ish romp. It's a bit of a romp, um, yeah. Romp is the word yeah. I would use as well. That is really true. Although, although one, of the, one of the good things about it is, so Arcadian, Arcadia Tell actually, actually says, um, you know, oh no, we're not, we're not doing the whole, you know, and it's basically, it's actually the, the it's actually the writers going, we're not going to do the whole, what if the Nazis won the second world war it's yeah. cliche and it's boring every sci-fi series there ever was has done that it's done in everything Ev everything does it i mean like comics do yeah. it like there's so many um, variations of the same trope and it's kind of like no we've got these people here and now like yeah. i mean including doctor who yeah oh yeah no absolutely yeah, yeah. when, when exactly. they're not when they're not busy um, glorifying churchill but this so is much. it's yeah it's such a subversion it's all it's all about the Gallifreyan plot, really. And most of it is all of these, like, the interactions between Romana and Narvin and this whole, like, boss and co-worker and, and everyone's trying to one-up each other. And, yeah, it's... I I think The Inquiry and The Blind Eye are the best of season one, just as, as like, the strongest episodes. So Weapon of Choice does a pretty damn go good job as the pilot. And square, square one, one didn't happen, right? <laughs> <laughs> that episode you've never seen. <laughs> yeah. Listen to. <laughs> Season one is, you know, it's three episodes long. It's really quick. <laughs> I would have a hard time ranking them, but um, I think I have to agree on that one. I think square one is my least favorite, but they're so hard to compare for me. Like they're, they're very different stories, each one, even though they've got so many threads that link through them all. There's a lot of variety in the tone of the episodes, which is cool. I like it. But the characters feels cohesive, which is really nice. Yeah. I think, um, agreeing to what you're saying, I do think that 
a blind eye is the one that has the least re-listen value for me. And it's not that I dislike it, it's just that it's such a... that they're dealing with such heavy subjects that honestly, I don't always want to re-listen to mm. it. Like, it's... I mean, art that makes you uncomfortable is still art, and I'm not denying that it's good. I'm just saying that sometimes I just want to listen to Gallifrey without having to, you know, think about all these things. Yeah, there's a couple of Benny episodes like that for me as well. Um, yeah. The ones in Guernsey particularly. Yeah, that, that one thing. So, there are only a few minor things that I wanted to mention. One is that despite what we've just said about cliché and the parallel tracks thing is just they, they just have fun with it you know mm. and it's it, it's good fun and and the thing that I like about it is we've all been on trains where there'll be another train running parallel with you and the points on the track maybe because you're approaching the station or whatever brings the two trains so close together that you think they're going to collide and it's even even more so in, um, if you're in a tunnel and then you get the reflection of the other train that mixes with yours in the window you know and it makes it look um, like you're on that train yeah exactly you're having an american there jane yeah we, we <laughs> train travel is not nearly as much of a thing here <laughs> um so Come to Denmark. that specific no i was about to say right in my giant nine month uh odyssey that i have planned where my train is almost my exclusive method of travel i'm sure i will have that experience undoubtedly Torvald, we get mention of the mind pro so no no not the mind pro not the mind pro um uh, and then just two funny things to round off with um the exchange just before miss joy makes her monstrous appearance neela says something is wrong i feel something running up my spine and Sissy says, what, like backache? <laughs> Which tickled me. Um, yeah. I, I, and then um, I can't let this episode go without my favourite, you know, one of my favourite Gallifrey quotes, which is um, Nami's utter astonishment of Lila, you brought that savage to an embargoed time zone? And Romana's response, which is just, shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um i i love it um and i i, I know i say it far too often but it is one it is it's just excellent you know we were saying about farce it's the height of farce it's faulty towers level farce i mean to be fair that line's just gallifrey in a nutshell isn't it yeah at least the first three seasons that that exchange there is gallifrey in a nutshell <laughs> again i go back to the very first episode and the very first exchange Romana's first ever line mm. to Narvin being shh. Yeah, yeah. Does anybody have anything else? There was a, a, a little thing that I noticed um, when, you know, when the train stops um, and Leela says that the whistle of the train is a banshee's wail. So just, just a little, like, it's just a funny little thing in Irish folklore, which is where banshees come from. When a banshee is wailing, it's because a relative is about to die. And I just, I like that little detail being there because, I mean, Sissy is there and, I mean, her whole whole deal is that she is a relative of Charlie's, you know? So, mm. I mean, I don't know if that was intended. Um, it could also just be, you know, Leela says something there that's Leela-esque. Um, but I just, I like that particular, you know, it, it I, I like that, you know, the, the little reference there mm. to, uh, to the actual mythology. <laughs> Two related points. She also declares at the end of the episode that now she knows her husband is dead. Right? Another death of a relation. Mm -hmm. But also, how does Leela know what a banshee is? I know! I was wondering too! <laughs> Maybe like... it's the translation thing, right? Like, that's usually what I put this oh, kind of oh. thing down to. I've, I've had oh, oh, to oh. not talk about the translation thing, because I have some weird thoughts. Um, and most of them are to do... With the fact that Torvald, when he's pretending to be Eric, has a stupid accent. Speaks like Dracula? Yeah. <laughs> I put that down. That's not what Germans sound yeah, like. Yeah, I put that down more to Torvald. <laughs> he trying speaks to do a like bad Dracula. Yeah. Um, than anybody actually trying to do an actual German accent. And then I was like, well, does that mean that they're not translating the fact that he's speaking in an accent? And then I'm like, 
I mean, like, I know that the, the canon this is messy, and that's honestly why I was like, I'm not going to talk about it, because then I'll start talking about how they, like, sometimes people speak in accents and sometimes they don't, and it's weird, and yeah. Yeah, I also wondered with how how they didn't, Sissy and Joy didn't, you know, when they were saying Leela was Slavic or Romani, when, you know, Leela has an English accent, like... At least that's what we hear. Yeah, that's what yeah. we hear. That raises the question of what people that of what they're hearing in universe. Also, the way Leela pronounced laboriously but correctly pronounces the word assignation is more evidence for the Leela is learning to speak Gallifreyan mm. theory. I mean, that's not that was confirmed in Weapon of Choice that that she speaks Gallifreyan but she doesn't write it. Uh, she she yeah, she can't write. I it. mean, no, that was that was a conversation we have, right? No, like K nine says, um, you are not um, yet proficient at writing. Yeah, is all he but, says. We spun it into she's looking. That's true, but yeah. we know that she we know that she can write. Um, like she can write in English. Some English. Yeah. So we can. Yeah, that's true. That's a. It was a conversation we had, but but there is that she is definitely speaking a language that is not English. Is what we know. I believe it. I don't know that I would. It's like you and the you and the Frax argument earlier in the episode. I believe that that is true, but I don't know that I'd say it's definite. Yeah, that's fair. Fair enough. On that note, are we done with this episode? Well, I we think need to so. talk about episode two point one. That's what we? I was getting at. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> because it's getting late. Oh. Yeah, I am so sorry, yes. editing Finn. We've got about I four know hours we've or something got four here, hours, and that's why I'm trying to get us to move <laughs> on to it. I might split this one into two yes. parts. That would be okay. Yeah. Or just cut out a lot of waffling. You can cut out my costume digression. Absolutely <laughs> not. It was great. So, Gallifrey 2.1 lies. What do we think, guys? Wow. Winter, 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 winter. <laughs> that is what I think. Also, Tudor Braxia tell flashback. Back. Those are the only two things that matter about lies. Pandora who? <laughs> and, I mean, that's how and... the episode starts, is Pandora who, right? I, um, my only real thought that you know that I'll articulate right now is return of Mary Tam. Mm. Yeah. So I think you know. So this is I can't remember whether she'd done any companion chronicles. You know, were those a thing? At this, I don't think so. I I don't think she had at this stage. No. I think this was I her think, first big finish. I, I, think I think this is her first time back. I so can confirm that in a second. Returning as Romana is a real lovely thing. Like the much Miss Merrington. For me, my one thought about this episode is it's the last time Romana really trusts Brax. Um, because everything after this, there's all that kind of stuff that comes out and like the whole thing about younger Romana and everything. And they have a conversation which convinces me every time that he knew. Like, he's known what's been going on for a long time, but this is where he knows it's the last moment and the last conversation. And if you listen to it with that in mind, there's so much in that conversation where he's just trying to have a normal... You know, he's playing at the give me the chance the role thing, but he knows, just like he knows with the conversa- with the, the thing with Winter and Pandora. You can't tell me he didn't know that either. Especially that conversation... Sorry, broken Jane. Um, especially that conversation that they have in pandora is uh yeah but that's another episode yeah. but yeah just just that conversation with romana and brax you cannot tell me he doesn't know that that's the last time she mm. trusts him mm-hmm. yeah um definitely on the, the same page as you there um also let narvin have a nap <laughs> yeah <laughs> how about you scar i agree winter tutabraxia tell small mana i will probably that that's probably the point where I'll have to talk about um at least mention Satio, isn't it? <laughs> that that's your one allowed episode. <laughs> right, Chris got this episode yeah, for Charlie. Okay. You get two point one for Satio. <laughs> Darkel as properly the villain is is that starts in two point one. Up until now, she's been like neutral. you know she's been generally against Romana, but in a more neutral way. She's not like full blown how she is in season two. I, I remember that 2.1, either the first scene or the second scene or something, is that like 
is a is a very uh, is a is a conversation between Narvin and Darkel that establishes that really quickly. That's mostly what I remember about lies. Are there undead shenanigans in this one, or is that two points? Yes. <laughs> uh, yes, there are. Yeah. yeah, there's at least stuff with Leela sort of. Yeah. You know, explaining that she knew about the concept of regeneration. She'd had it explained to her. One gets the impression before they even got married. Again, we are in hour four. No, we've just entered hour five of recording. <laughs> Void, it's past midnight. None of us has a brain anymore. Does, does someone want to say the thing on that note before we all get hysterical? Yes, I can do that thing. This has been the Pod of Resilin. Thank you for listening. Romana is the president, and Narvin's loud in his dissent, and Leela has wise things to say, and they all live on Gallifrey. Braxy is a garbage man, Castellan Winter needs a hand, and Ace is in the CIA, and they all live on Gallifrey. The shining world of the seven cities.